This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to the Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Community Matters, Inc. With nearly 20 years in the chamber industry and over 100 media awards presented to their chamber partners, Community Matters provides the R&R that every chamber needs, revenue and recognition. When it comes to publishing a chamber map, directory, or community guide, Community Matters has a trusted experience to help your chamber accomplish your goals. With different advertising sales models and publication styles, Community Matters will help you create a non-dues revenue machine. Let's hear from Becky Womble, President and CEO of the Bastrop Chamber, to hear about her experience using Community Matters. I've been using Community Matters for probably six or seven years now. And um, in a previous life, I sold commercial printing. So I can highly recommend Community Matters because it's a complete turnkey job for any busy chamber exec. Um, Basically, you give them a membership list. And from there, they contact your members. And it's no high pressure sales or anything. And it really is a complete turnkey job from start to finish. And it's a wonderful, beautiful printed product whenever you're finished. And I just, I'm very sold on Community Matters. And with a printing background, I just, big endorsement for me. To learn how Community Matters can support your chamber with your next publication, please visit communitymattersinc.com slash podcast to request your free media kit and request a proposal to find out what kind of non-dues revenue you can generate. Our guest for this episode is Wayne Mitchell. In July of 2016, Wayne was named President and CEO of the Nacogdoches Chamber of Commerce in Nacogdoches, Texas. He has worked with businesses and organizations over the past 45 years in various roles. Wayne is a graduate of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Organization Management and has served on the Institute faculty for over 22 years. He's taught chamber executives and nonprofit leaders from Maine to California. Wayne has worked for associations on the local, state, and national level. He's a past president and CEO of the Kennebec Valley Chamber of Commerce, former director of state services for the United States JCs, executive vice president of the Maine Paper Industry Information Office, former executive vice president for the Maine Publicity Bureau, past president of the Maine JCs, past president of the Maine Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives, former CEO of the Augusta Board of Trade, and former member of the Board of Directors for the Texas Association of Chamber Executives. In 1991, Wayne founded Prodcom. Prodcom provided a variety of services to state and national corporations and nonprofits. Wayne has been a registered lobbyist in Maine and Washington, D.C. Wayne, I'm excited to have you with us today here on Chamber Chat Podcast. I'd love to give you an opportunity to say hello to all the Chamber Champions that are out there listening and share something interesting about yourself so we can get to know you a little better. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Brendan, for the invite uh, to participate here today. It it brings back my uh, Institute faculty days and the opportunity to share all of the things that that I've learned, uh, good or bad, in my 40 plus years of, uh, of experience. Uh, after you read that resume, you can 
come to the conclusion quickly I can't hold the job. Uh, <laughs> I've moved around so frequently. But all kidding aside, uh, uh, this is a uh, this industry is not profit world that we live in in the chamber world and not in in the association world. For me, has been uh, has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, uh, I. Uh, I, uh, I have enjoyed my 40 plus year career in this in this field here. Uh, I think the uh, you asked me to share an interesting statistic, and that is that I spent most of my youth overseas, either in Taiwan or in Germany, growing up. So uh, when my family finally settled in my in my late uh, in my late school years, high school years, uh, back here in the United States, uh, it. Uh, it was great to be reacclimated to the American way of life after living in in uh, in China and 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 in and, and in Germany for those many years. Uh, and uh, you, you have enormous appreciation for this country and the uh, and the many blessings it offers. So, uh, uh, but I don't regret a moment the opportunity I had to grow up overseas. Right. Now, both my parents were military brats, so living all over from Spain to. Turkey to you know, Japan, all over the place. So I can appreciate that and uh, probably see a lot of similarities between our, our backgrounds there. But why don't you uh, take a moment and share with us a little bit more about the Nacogdoches County Chamber, just to give us an idea of maybe size, size of the chamber, staff, budget, scope of work, things you guys are involved with, just to help set the table for our discussion today. Well, first of all, uh, it's great to be here in Nacogdoches County, and especially the city of Nacogdoches, which is, uh, which is heralded as the oldest town in Texas, 300 plus years old. The chamber itself is over 100 years old as well, so uh, we have a long and proud history here in Nacogdoches. Uh, we're currently just a, a hair above 600 members. Uh, and uh, we have uh, a very diverse membership base, everything from manufacturing to retailing to uh, to distribution, you name it, we probably are engaged with it here. Uh, what I love most about an anecdotes is uh, is is the uh, is the collaboration between the various organizations in town. We, we play so well together, and I think that helps us become more effective in accomplishing the objectives we have in serving our community here today. Uh, my staff is, is typically about five. Uh, right now, we're down one person, but uh, we'll remedy that in the next few weeks, I suspect. Uh, and uh, I'm proud to say that uh, my uh, executive vice president, Kelly Augustine, is an institute graduate as am I. So uh, we've got the Institute experience uh, behind us and uh, we'll be sending uh, two other staff members to either the, the TCEC uh, Institute program or the U.S. Chamber program in the next year. So uh, we take professional development very seriously and uh, we are a four-star accredited chamber, which we're also proud of. And we'll be moving into the accreditation process in the next uh, in the next couple of months, a reaccreditation for our hopefully obtaining the fifth star. Awesome. Now that is great. You guys are rolling and glad to see you're sending two more staff to Institute here in the near future. That is fantastic. Um, so for our, our discussion, for our, our topic for discussion today, rather, we decided to, to focus our discussion around something that uh, either has been addressed or has been talked about or has, uh, at least the idea has been kicked around in a lot of people's minds in, in the chamber world. 
And that is the idea of killing sacred cows. Um, I think a lot of times the idea is there and the need is there to kill these sacred cows, but there's a lot of fear around it. But we'll, uh, we'll dive into that discussion much deeper as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round, affordable, and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. Are you looking for a way to grow and manage your Chamber of Commerce more effectively? Look no further than Chamber Nation. Their innovative software provides everything you need to streamline operations, engage members, and increase revenue. With features like event management, membership directories, advanced membership tools, mobile apps, community kiosks, and financial reporting, Chamber Nation makes it easy to run your chamber like a well-oiled machine. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your chamber to the next level. Visit richardscalendar.com to learn more about Chamber Nation today. Howdy, it's Donna Nowitzki here, CEO of Yifty. Fun fact about local businesses. Did you know that small businesses employ 57% of the U.S.'s non-government workforce? Many of these small businesses are your chamber members. We are here to help you help them. As you heard last week, we do digital gift cards for 500 plus communities, and we call them community cards. Our chamber partners get a custom gift card branded for you that works exclusively in your member stores. The program is free for you and free for your members. We even give you reports so you can tell them how much business you brought them. Sign up for a live Zoom demo with me or one of my teammates at yifty.com demo or email sales at yifty.com. That's Y-I-F-T-E-E dot com. That's it for now. Back to the show. All right, Wayne, we're back. Uh, as I mentioned before the break, as we talk about sacred burning sacred cows or killing sacred cows, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not prejudiced one way or another how we kill them, but we got to kill them, whether it's by fire or something else. <laughs> but um, there is a lot of fear around getting rid of programs and, and things that your chamber is really identified with, you know, a lot of, I think that's the problem is a lot of times these programs and, and scope of work become something that really becomes the identity of the chamber. So to get rid of those programs, I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around it, but how have you come to terms with uh, being able to, to kill sacred cows and be able to move forward with more important work? Well, first of all, I think I don't know of a man or woman in the chamber business, uh, and certainly a CEO that hasn't inherited 
or, or had created a sacred cow with their organization. And I always define a sacred cow as a program or project that has run its course. It's no longer needed by the membership. And I'll give you a couple of Wayneisms as we go through this uh, chat this morning, Brandon. But uh, uh, it, 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 it is often difficult for chambers to move away from traditional projects and programs. But there's a necessity to do it, especially in this changing economic environment. Uh, I often say that one of the things uh, uh, one of the things we need to ask ourselves every year about everything that we're engaged in is is the relevance of what we're doing, and whether or not it's the most important utilization of of chamber resources. And I've always said. Uh, that the resources break down into three different areas, staff time, volunteer time, and financial resources. If you don't have the money, the staff, or the volunteers to do something, you probably ought not to be doing it. And every year something comes along that we need to be engaged in a surprise in our community, the loss of a major industry, a catastrophe locally, uh, all sorts of different things that happen that requires us to at least refocus our energies and our resources in order to preserve our economic base and our and make our communities uh, hopefully more attractive for investment. So uh, I think it, it, I, I think you can't attack the sacred cow without some degree of risk as a CEO. And how you do it safely, I think is the key to success on this. So uh, I, I, I've got some thoughts in terms of how you approach it, uh, uh, why it's difficult to, 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 to eliminate those things. I mean, yeah, sacred cows typically have members and, and both in the, within the chamber and within the community that are emotionally committed to the project. They may be founders of the program. You know, I, the things I created as a chamber CEO I, will be included at some point in my obituary, either in the first or second or third paragraph. And yes, it, it, you know, I can say I'm objective, but the truth of the matter is it is tough for when somebody it, it takes a look at your program. Sometimes these sacred cows create income. Uh, sometimes the community is so, uh, so committed to it and, and, and expects it every year that it's tough to walk away from. So those are the, you know, those are at least the approaches to sacred cows, Brendan. So you had mentioned that as an executive, there's always some level of risk when you talk about killing a sacred cow. At what point, and I like how you've identified it as saying that a sacred cow is a program or project that has run its course, but at what point do you see where this program or project has run its course and now it's worth the risk of taking it on because of all those other factors of people being emotionally connected or there's, you know, it's an income generator. There's certain expectations in your community. So how do you balance that where you say, yep, now's the time that we need to tackle this, this uh, program or project that has run its course? Well, I will tell you this, Brendan, I try to make it their decision rather than my decision or, or my recommendation. Good idea. And I do that by approaching it by, by saying, you know, I think there are questions we need to ask ourselves. Uh, you heard me say at the beginning of this, this chat that, you know, I have a few Wayneisms. One, one Wayneism is that too many chambers that perform programs and projects based on tradition and not based on the needs of the membership. Uh, if you can't, if you can't 
make a direct link between what you're doing and what they need, then you probably ought not to be doing it. Yeah. The second Wayneism I'd say is that every chamber has sacred cows, and at least once a year, someone needs to stick a fork in it to see if it's still relevant to the needs of the membership. See if it's and good. when I say someone, <laughs> I want my board at a retreat to look at every program or project uh, and ask, is this still the most important utilization of chamber resources? And and uh, and the third Wayneism I'd say would be just because you're making money on a program or project doesn't mean you should be doing it. Uh, money ought not to be the, 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 the motivating factor. Uh, it should be, again, based on ROI, what return on investment do we provide our members? Uh, I, I, I was engaged in a program uh, a, a while back where we spent over $30,000 of the, of the organization's resources to execute. And on the way back from where we, where we implemented that project, I had a long drive. And, I, and, and the question I kept saying, what, what were the deliverables out of this project? What did that 30,000 give my members? And you know what? Uh, I, I, we reinvented that project and we, in order to, to, to be able to answer that question more comfortably. Uh, but we need every year to, 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 to come to that conclusion. Uh, you asked how we do it safely. Right. At, at, from, from a staff standpoint. Well, in my opinion, what we need to do is, you know, I'm, I, if I've learned anything in the last in the last thirty years of my, I think the first ten years of my nonprofit career, I flew by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I, I you know I, I went on hunches and guesses and estimations, and I think the last thirty years I've I've come to great appreciation on the value of data, yeah. and on every program or project, uh, I, I want to collect data, which starts with surveys. And I, I distilled it down on every project project to three questions. If we do a trade show and somebody buys a booth at that trade show, we need to ask that woman or man, what value did this program have to your company or your business? And I have it three questions, great value, some value, or little or no. And if the vast consensus is little or no, then we're gonna, we're gonna visit that project and determine whether we should be continuing that. Uh, we need to ask that question on not everything we do in our organizations and not make assumption as staff people. And when I collect that data, I, I like, I like to, to, to put it in a form where I can present it to my board. I give them an honest assessment of what the project did at the end, but then I let them know what the customers, our members, feel about that program or project. I had one expo. I remember my early years in the chamber business. We netted probably forty thousand, which are probably a hundred thousand in today's dollars, huh. which shows you how long ago it was. Yeah. And so it was a successful project, and I'm talking about netting after staff time and everything else is calculated. Yeah. At the end of the program, I surveyed the hundred and fifty booths, and seventy percent of them said little or no value in the survey result. And so when I followed up and said, then if it had little or no value, then why did you participate? And they said, to support the chamber. Well, that's the wrong reason for them to be there. 
Right. Uh, you know, I, I I love their 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 commitment and and their. But we killed that project the next year based on the data and the feedback we had. And when oh, I it say was making we, good money, though. You know what? We we had to we had is that what we're in business for? Just to make money? We're in business to serve our communities and our, right. and our customers, our members first. And so when my board saw that, the vast majority viewed that thing not as an investment, but as as a contribution. They wisely said it's time to move on. Money is not the motivating factor for doing an expo. We thought it was for business development. It had. It had run its course, Brendan. Yeah, I could see where somebody could say this is a successful program, this is a successful expo because we made X amount of money, yeah, X amount of dollars. And they may not want to ask those questions because they don't want to hear the answer that it was little to no value. So I think it's a great idea of asking or providing these surveys for every program and project just across the it's you don't apply a filter on it ahead of time to decide whether or not to do the survey. It's just part of everything you do. Absolutely. And today with the, with the tools of technology that we have available to us, there's no excuse for us not testing the value of our programs, each and every one of them. I think that that's, that's a key. And, and here's where this becomes complicated for those of us in the staff and volunteer leadership. When the woman or man created that, that uh, trade show is still around, active in the chamber, maybe even, you know, with us in the community. It becomes, you know, let me tell you, uh, you're going to hear, from, you need to be prepared to hear from those folks and to make your case when you try to eliminate that, that program that they have enormous emotional commitment to. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm successful in that, but I leave that sales job to the volunteer leadership. If they agree, program needs to be either massively revised or eliminated, guess what? Then they need they need to be leading the charge, not the CEO of the chamber and not the staff. The staff's the staff's obligation is to collect the data and and to present the results. Right. Uh, and I think um, it may be a good idea even with some of those community players who may be the founder, those who are emotionally involved with it to uh, as you have those discussions or have you, your volunteers uh, have those discussions to help them really find what their real identity is in the community. And maybe it, it aligns with some of those chamber things, being able to convene people, maybe to be in a, a champion for business rather than the identity being that particular event that they founded. Or, you know, ha I think there's so much emotion to it when it becomes your identity that there might be other ways of approaching that to show where their value really lies and maybe get them to buy in on the next thing, you know, that will, maybe they have other ideas that they could be a value. You're spot on. I mean, I, I was always fond of saying when I was teaching at Institute that, uh, and, and, and it's, and, and I learned this, you know, I had a, I had a 30 year uh, in, uh, absence from the chamber management world. I, I started out, you know, running a chamber in Augusta, Maine at the Kennebec Valley Chamber in, in the uh, mid 80s and then re-entered the chamber world in, in, the, in, the, uh, in 2016. And what I learned in the first six months of being here at Nacogdoches at this chamber is I could not run my chamber uh, today in Nacogdoches the way I ran my chamber in, in, in the mid 80s and be relevant. Uh, and if 
if I attempted to do that, we would be a dismal failure today. And and we we as change as as CEOs better be prepared to change as the as the needs of the community change to stay relevant. And that means you need to have capacity. You need to have staff, money, and volunteers to do something. You can't do a thousand things with the chamber. Everybody. I don't care what the size of your chamber is. We all have limitations, yeah. and they just they break down into those three areas. So I'd rather get rid of something that's no longer needed and put something that has greater value and return on investment to our communities in its place. But it's tough to do that because people are wedded to tradition, and that's where you know it does put us at risk professionally when we raise raise questions like that because somebody's going to say, "Hey, what are you saying? That's my baby." Well, yeah. guess what? Your baby's grown up and it's about ready to. And there are other ways to do it, too. You can spin off a project or program to another organization. If the community doesn't think it's running a course, great. Let somebody else do it. Yeah. Uh, and find another host for that program. If you can't find another host, that should, that should speak volumes about the relevance of that project. That is very true. Yeah, spin it off to another host and <laughs> see that feedback as it comes in. But another thought I had is some of these programs, some of these community events, they, like you said, they're steeped in tradition because we tag on, you know, 37th annual, you know, festival or parade or whatever it is. So it becomes an expectation, which at the beginning might have been a good idea marketing wise to have that going and have that expectation for each year. But when it comes to the end of its course, uh, that can really come back to haunt you when you've, you know, tacked on the, you know, what year it is that you're doing this festival. So be careful of that, I guess. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it does uh, add, it add to the level of difficulty in, in moving on on those things. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I look, I'm in the latter stages of my chamber career here probably, uh, but I will say this, nothing, nothing bothers me more than boring programs. Even if you don't eliminate the darn thing, at least every, I don't like going to programs with the same every day. If I'm bored, imagine how my members feel about it. Right. <laughs> so at the very least, if you if you challenge the relevance or, or stick a fork into a program and say, okay, well, is this still necessary? At least, at the very least, change the darn thing so that, <laughs> uh, so that you know, so that there's something new and exciting. I I challenge my staff colleagues and my and my volunteer leaders, my my committee chairs. I said, look, don't do it the same way we did it last year. But we got a plan. We got a strategy. You know what? I understand that, but it's the same plan you had three years ago. Right. If you can't have new and improved and show me something different, uh, then we, you know, then then it has run its course. That's right. Uh, that's great. And hopefully this is this conversation is getting the wheels spinning in the minds of people listening and and really evaluating what what are some of those sacred cows at their organization? Uh, how can they start having these conversations with those stakeholders and with those volunteers to and their board members to be asking those questions? Is this still relevant? Is this still the best use of your time and resources as a chamber? I think that that question right there is so key to just continue being relevant as a chamber. But I wanted to ask, as we start wrapping things up, um, what might be a tip or an action item that you would suggest for a chamber who is listening, who would like to take their chamber up to the next level? 
Well, first of all, find out what other folks are doing. And I don't just mean in your region. I'm talking about nationwide. Uh, the advantage I had in, in, in being a chamber consultant for 25 years is that I had the opportunity to facilitate hundreds, literally hundreds of board retreats. And I always left almost every chamber that I was working with, with, with a new idea or something. So in this day and age, with, with, the, with the technology and, and social media things that we have available to us, look at what folks are doing. I visit websites. Uh, I visit, uh, I, I look at programs of work. I look at staff structure and, 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 and constantly reevaluate what we're doing based on what the industry norms are. Uh, there are extraordinary women and men uh, out there that are leading these organizations. And let me tell you something. Uh, if you think after being on an institute faculty for 22 years, I, you know, I learned it all. You're sorely mistaken. Every day, it seems like I learned something new about this industry and this job. And, and I think that's what keeps us relevant. The learning process doesn't stop at any point in this business. Uh, COVID showed us all that. We had to reinvent the way we, we, we serviced our members and how we communicated with our members and how, and, and how we added value to, to our membership. Uh, so that's, that's my tip is please, programs like what you're offering here, Brendan, are, are essential. They're absolutely essential to, to us. And I'll be honest with you, I heard myself saying things in this discussion with you, and there was a little voice in the back of my head that said, hey, Mitchell, if you're so damn smart, how come you're not doing that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, there's an element of that. And I think that I think that that's, uh, you know, I, in, in the interest of candor, I haven't learned it all yet. And, and I've been doing this job for the better part of 40 years. Yeah, or you've learned it, but you haven't learned the lesson yet, right? <laughs> that may be it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love the I love the honesty and candor there. That that's great. Uh, <laughs> so I like to ask, and I, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there. But as we look to the future of chambers of commerce, how do you see the future of chambers and their purpose going forward? Well, first of all, you know, it, it, when I first joined this, we were primarily, it, 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 there, there was, wasn't a lot of, of hard edges on Chambers of Commerce and doing a job. We were a social organization. Communities used us to collaborate and, and, and that networking. I'm seeing Chambers today play a much more serious and much more critical role in representing their communities. And that's going to be the area of advocacy. We're going to see it. Chambers in the future will be less loved by folks other than our members, because if we're doing our job, people are going to be angry at us. But I, my constituents, I know where my bread is buttered as a chamber CEO in 2023, and that's with representing the people, the men and women that are paying my bills that are trying to to do business in a regulated world. And our job is to be that wall between the regulation and the business owner. And to try, you know, and that, you know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce does an absolutely incredible job on the federal level. Here in Texas, we're blessed to have Glenn Hammer and the Texas Association of Business doing a great job on the state level. But those of us on the local level, guess what? Uh, we are the most important lobbyists that the business community has. And if we fail to communicate with regulators and legislators, our businesses are going to be underserved. So to answer your question, where we're going to change. 
and this this applies to chambers at all sizes, is that we're going to have to become more aggressive and more effective in the advocacy area to represent the business community more effectively. And that and that will make us less loved by those folks other than the ones that are paying our paying our salaries. But guess what? Uh, 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 they need representation. And today it's a difficult world to do business. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. Well, really, and you say being less loved, but really, I mean, most people work for somebody if they're not working for themselves. If they're working for themselves, they should be a member of the chamber. They should be investing in the work the chamber is doing. But if they're an employee of that person, they should still want pro-business, you know, policy and candidates and, you know, everything in the in the community going for pro-business. So I, I don't know. I might push back that there might not be as as little love as you think. You know, there might be more love for chambers of actually stepping up and doing meaningful work. So yeah, it, it's funny. I I, I think back uh, uh, years ago. I, I had a, a project. I, I had I had a, an issue that we had taken a very public stand on in the chamber, and it was a front page article. And I remember walking through the local supermarket with my cart and having a woman blast me. Uh, for the position that we took on that issue, and I, I was, uh, you know, I was tactful, and, and 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 so I went back to my office, and my board chairman, my board chairman called me just out of the blue, and some, and he detected I wasn't very happy at that moment. And he said, "What's up, Wayne?" And I said, "Well, Bill, I said, uh, I just got blasted in, in, in a supermarket, and I said, and I'm just recovering from it." I said, "The woman was angry with the position that you folks asked me to share," <laughs> and and he said, "And you and you're 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 doing what?" And I said, well, "I'm just sitting here trying to rehabilitate." He said, "I'll be right down." And he got into his car and he drove to my office. He came to my office, he shut the door, and he looked at me and he said, "What do you want out of this deal?" And I said, "Just," and I used the words. I said, "Look." I, I want to be loved, you know? Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, let me tell you, based on the position you took on our behalf, you're loved by the people that are signing your check. Move on. And, and you know what? Uh, he's absolutely right. If I do my job from time to time, somebody should be angry at me. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, I, you know, I, I used to kiddingly say just because they're wrong doesn't mean I don't love them. Yeah. And I suspect from time to time I may be wrong and hopefully they'll love me and in that case too, but this, that's where the edginess. Look, we didn't do any of that in, in the in the hardly any of that in the seventies and eighties. Let me tell you, this job today, there there you you're making decisions on a routine basis now that if, if you're doing your job well, will there's not going to be a hundred percent consensus on everything. It goes with the territory, but I, I will tell you this: I think I've evolved because I'll be honest with you, I kind of enjoy it today. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be saying I just want to be loved anymore. I just want to be right. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. If you're not, if you're not making a stance, you know, if if you are making a stance, you will have people that are upset. So if you're not making people upset, that means you're not making a strong enough stance. So, um, but Wayne, I I've appreciated the the insights and experience that you shared with us so far. I wanted to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who'd like to reach out and connect with you and learn more from you throughout your career and, and specifically how you tackle killing sacred cows. What would be the best way for them to, to reach out and connect with you? Well, they're certainly welcome to, to contact me here at the chamber at uh, my email address is president at 
N-A-C-T-X.com. And that's probably the best way, Brendan, to get a hold of me. Okay. Uh, and that'll give me a chance if they have a question or a comment. It, listen, uh, I suspect there'll be a few out there that probably disagree with some of the things that I've said, but uh, I'm willing to I'm, I'm willing to to to, uh, to to accept that. And maybe maybe they're right and I'm wrong. So if they've got a counterpoint of view, I certainly would welcome that. Uh, but uh, and at the same time, this can be a lonely business if. Anybody ever wanted to? Uh, anybody ever wanted to chat on, on the telephone? They're welcome. Uh, I suspect you'll check, you'll you'll share my telephone number uh, here at the chamber, and they're certainly welcome to call me and uh, and uh, we can we can talk about it on a one on one basis. Like I said, it can be a lonely business because there's not a lot of folks that do what we do in our region. So that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I I will put that in your phone number and email in the show notes for this episode so people can look that up and and there's truth in that there's a loneliness and leadership for sure as you're making stances that other people don't totally understand or agree with but um absolutely it, it's important to have that network of people to to lean upon and to learn from and and uh anyway this is it's been a great discussion i i really do appreciate you spending time with us today on the podcast and i think this uh I think it should motivate some people that are listening to really take a deep look at their organization and see what changes there are that, that might need to be addressed. So thank you for that, Wayne. Thank you, Brennan. Thanks for the opportunity to, 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 to join you today. This has been fun. If you are a chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today.